1984, a postal worker and father of three took his children from their home and brought them to a tiny comic book store in Lawrence, Kansas. One of those children would pick a single issue off the shelf that would begin a love affair with comics that is still going strong today, nearly 40 years later. And that issue was G.I. Joe number 25 from Marvel Comics. I think. I mean, my memory really isn't quite what it used to be. Anyway, what follows is the eighth installment in a multi-part series of episodes where I dive right back into my childhood in the comic book that started it all. G.I. Joe, a real American hero. There will be spoilers. Yo, Joe! We'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe! for that, but I think you'll find this a bit more interesting. Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that just keeps getting smaller and smaller. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and seriously folks, I'm getting smaller. I started this diet almost two months ago, and so far... I've just been losing weight. I'm no longer eating grains or potatoes or corn. And other than a bit of peanut butter and a glass of milk at night, I am completely off of sugar, which I never, ever, 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 ever thought I'd be able to do. I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago that I was throwing back half a bag of little powdered donuts before bed each and every night. And now I'm just not doing that anymore. And I don't know, I guess there just comes a time in a person's life when death just keeps coming closer and closer. And you realize that you can either continue to eat your way into oblivion, or you can stick around and see your grandson graduate from high school. And frankly, as much as I love them little powdered donuts, and good God, I do love them little powdered donuts, I uh, I kind of want to see my grandson graduate high school. I, I really kind of do. Now, before we get to the main topic at hand today, which, as I alluded to at the beginning of the episode, is G.I. Joe, a real American hero, issue number eight. I thought we'd do something here today on Just Another Fanboy that we haven't done since, I don't know, I mean, it's only been a few weeks. Anyway, it's time for listeners' feedback. Today's listeners' feedback comes by way of electronic mail, and it was sent to us by a Mr. Ed Moore Jr., who writes in response to last week's episode number 257, Moon Knight Part 1. And Ed writes, Howdy, Stephen. Long-time listener, first-time email sender. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt. I'm going to stop reading the email really quick because if anybody is listening to the Superman Super Show, they know Ed as my co-host over there. And so they know what Ed sounds like. But the simple fact that he started out this email with the word howdy 
it's now inspired me to read this email in a completely different way and in a way that Ed does not sound. Ed does not sound like this at all. He's from the East Coast or at least the East Side of the United States. So yeah, this is your own fault, Ed. Here we go. Howdy, Stephen. Long time listener, first time email sender. Moon Knight has been on my I want to read dude stuff list for quite a while. I've been aware of him for a while. I have read his West Coast Avengers stuff and a couple of the shorter series he's had, and I am reading his latest Mr. Knight volume. Not really a fan of his crazy psycho stuff. I don't know why his various personas for different situations became a sickness. Daredevil and Batman that I know of have different personas, and they weren't attributed to them being mentally ill. You may help me motivate to read Moon Knight from the beginning now to follow along with the podcast. Keep it going. Ciao. Okay, first of all, Ed, uh, thanks for the email. But the the ending, the chow, doesn't really quite fit with the howdy. I don't know if you're aware of that. Just wanted to just wanted to let you know. In truth, folks, just giving Ed a hard time. So you make a good point. The the dissociative identity disorder thing had. I think I mentioned it. Maybe I didn't. I actually recorded that episode twice because <laughs> I lost part of it the first time I recorded it. So I I honestly don't remember what I included and what I didn't. But I. I know at one point, whether I, whether or not it made it into the episode, I don't know. But I know at one point I did talk about how that had kind of put me off at one point. I, I wasn't a big fan of it. But now that I'm watching the show on Disney+, Plus, I'm actually kind of digging that part of the character. Now, I do have to assume that the reason that they added that condition to the character was to make him stand out against Batman. Uh, I know I did talk about this in that episode in which uh, people have always compared Moon Knight to Batman. They've always called Moon Knight Marvel's Batman. And again, this is just conjecture. I'm just guessing, but I have to assume that maybe the whichever writer added that to Moon Knight's character, maybe they thought, all right, well, we've We've got to get Moon Knight out of Batman's shadow, and I think uh, uh, one way we can do this is to add this uh, mental health condition to the character. And yeah, again, I I don't remember enjoying it at first. Uh, it's kind of the same way I felt when, now I can't remember, uh, there was a character I was going to reference here, and I can't remember his name, a guy from the 2000s that... Brian Michael Bendis added to the new Avengers. It was basically, oh my gosh, what is that guy's freaking name? Yellow costume, long blonde hair. Good Lord, I feel like a freaking idiot. Marvel had done this whole thing where they acted as if he was a character that had been created. He, he was created back in the Stan and Jack days, and they had stumbled across him and brought him back into Marvel when, in actuality, I think Paul Jenkins created the character. Golly darn. What is his name? All right, I'm going to have to... Uh, I'm going to have to play a uh, the the official Monty Python intermission music on the organ now. 
Century. Century was his name. I was really excited about the Century and then yet put off when they basically made him have a big host of mental health issues. Uh, and I guess that's just something that uh, says a bit about myself. I I don't know why that puts me off. It shouldn't. I shouldn't immediately judge a character because they have mental health issues, and yet I do. Uh, but I'm learning. And I found that, again, watching the Moon Knight show and the way they are handling it there has made the character really quite interesting. And if you're not watching Moon Knight or if you're not caught up, I don't know if this would be considered a spoiler for those of you listening. So you may want to just skip ahead 10 to 20, 30 seconds. But I'm finding the character of Mark Spector so interesting at this point that it doesn't even bother me that Moon Knight really has not been a part of the show for the last few episodes. And when it comes to the comic books, I don't know that I've read a lot of the comic books that have dealt with his dissociative identity disorder. So as I'm doing this read from the beginning, we'll we'll get to that point and we'll see how the writer handles it and we'll see how um, how it's treated and whether or not I enjoy it. And uh, I will know by that point um, as I have, you know, stood outside myself and looked looked in, I'll, I'll realize at this point that if I don't like it this time around, it's not because it is a mental health issue. It's because I, I don't think the writer handled it very well. Does that make sense? I hope so. Anyway, thank you for the email, Ed. I truly appreciate it. For the rest of y'all, you too can have your thoughts featured here on the show. All you got to do is send an email in to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. You can write your thoughts down or you can record them thoughts on a some kind of recording device digitally and attach it to that email and send it on in. And hey, if you want to hear Ed and I together on the same show, check us out over on the Superman Super Show. That's supermansupershow.com. We are reading Superman comics from the Golden Age, starting with Action Comics number one, and we're talking about them one episode at a time. We just started. As of the time you're listening to this episode, we have three episodes out there, so it's not really going to be all that difficult for you to catch up. So really, you have no excuse. I don't want to hear it. Get out there and start listening. G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issue number eight, was published by Marvel Comics, and it has a cover date of February 1983. It was written by Herb Trimpey. He also did the pencils and the inks. The colors were by Christy Scheel, and the letters were by Rick Parker. This issue actually is the first issue not written by longtime G.I. Joe writer Larry Hama, and he actually doesn't write the next issue either. He doesn't come back until issue number 10. Now, I don't know if he leaves the book again after that for an issue or two. I just uh, found that that little fact there quite interesting when I opened up this book. And, and when I say opened, I'm reading it digitally. I have the uh, G.I. Joe Classics trades that I, I have digitally through uh, Comixology Unlimited. And uh, found it quite interesting that this was not written by Larry Hama because I was just under the impression, my memory is just that Larry Hama wrote all of them. That every single 
freaking Marvel G.I. Joe issue was written by Larry Hama. And apparently that's not true. There are at least two of them that were not. Now, this issue also seems to feature, if my memory serves me correct, I mean, I've got a list of all the Joes that are in this issue, and I think this is every single one that was on the team at the time. Breaker, Clutch, Flash, Grand Slam, Grunt, Hawk, Rock and Roll, Scarlet, Short Fuse, Snake Eyes, Stalker, Steeler, and Zap. If you are a G.I. Joe fan from the TV show and didn't get into the comics really until after you uh, were, you know, watching the cartoon after school, which is really where I came in, a lot of these early issues I didn't read. I didn't come in until later after I'd been watching the cartoon. The point I guess I'm trying to make here is that the Joe team, you didn't have Duke. Duke was not in charge at the time. He was not a member of the team. Hawk was. Colonel Hawk was a uh, was was the leader of the Joes. So that's why if you're listening to one of these for the first time and you're like, I thought he said it was all the Joes. Where's Duke? Where's Roadblock? Well, they weren't they weren't members at this time. Neither was Gung Ho. They all come later. We'll get to that. Anyway, this was a rather fun issue and there was a huge, uh, very strange, I don't know if I want to call it a plot hole, but it was a really weird mistake, maybe. Something that Cobra Commander does as part of a plan. It's something that he seems to have planned out that just in the end didn't make any sense. Uh, when I'm sure I'll spend a lot of time talking about it when we get there. And because of that, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the main story itself, because there's really not a lot to tell. Basically, what we have here is that Cobra has built a undersea base. They have this underwater base that is it it it's not attached to the ground, but it it's not on the the surface of the ocean. It floats somewhere in between. It's not close to the surface, so it can't be picked up by rain, radar or sonar or, or those types of detection devices. And it's not on the bottom of the ocean, so it can't be picked up by whatever devices. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a smart man, and I don't have the book in front of me, so I can't remember which detection devices they specifically mentioned. But because of how it's located in the ocean, your normal means of Finding something in the ocean doesn't work. So what the American government is doing is they're sending a space shuttle into space to add something to a satellite. They got a, a team of astronauts going up in the space shuttle to add some, some fancy equipment to a satellite so that they can detect this underwater base. And as I'm saying that, I'm starting to remember that there is actually some kind of laser shielding that the Baroness mentions about their underwater base that makes it practically indetectable from anything on Earth. Laser shielding, folks. That's space age technology right there. And how do you combat space age technology? Well, from space. And so that's why they have to go up there and do space stuff. And of course, Cobra knows that this is going to happen. And so they're going to attack the shuttle. They're going to stop this mission from happening. And so who does Murica call? They got to call the Joes. They have to protect the shuttle. And so it's all hands on deck. And they go to Cape Canaveral. And they set up a defensive perimeter around this shuttle. And uh, again, 
I understand. Come on, folks. It's comic books. It's a comic about G.I. Joe. I get it. I'm not trying to uh, sit here and criticize and be like, this is so fake. This never happened in real life. But I also like to point out some of the ridiculous nature of some of these stories because here is this all-important mission to, in essence, find a terrorist organization that, uh, you know, if they fail, then it's highly probable that democracy as we know it will be ground under the boot of Cobra. And so it all depends on this shuttle getting up there into space. And so what America does, what the American government does, what the American military does to protect this space shuttle, they don't call out the Marines. They don't call out the Army. They don't call out the Air Force. They don't call out the Navy. I mean, they don't even call out the freaking Coast Guard. We're talking about Cape Canaveral, okay? This is a launch installation on the coast. So what we got here is Cobra attacking from the ocean. And again, how does the American government defend one of the single most important military operations of all time? They take 12 men and one woman with a single tank, a jeep with a a laser gun on top of it, towing a big laser gun, a motorcycle with a machine gun sidecar, and a few jetpacks and some rifles. And they say, all right, you're going to stop an army from <laughs> from stopping this shuttle launch. That's 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 what they do. That's that's our American government in action right there, folks. It just I don't know. I get it. All right. As a kid, I would have been eating this like a bowl of cereal. But as an adult, it just I love it. I mean, I don't I'm not like I didn't throw the book down in disgust and go, this would never happen. This is so stupid. Do they expect me to believe that the government would do this? No, that's that's not what I'm saying here. I just think it's it's just funny. But that's not the part about this story that that really has me scratching my head. We'll get to that. So when Cobra attacks, they come out of the ocean with these I guess you could almost call them precursors to the Scout Walker vehicles from Return of the Jedi, except for they're much bigger. And they call them Sea Legs. The legs, part of the name, of course, refer to the two big metal legs on either side of the big metal box. And the legs, of course, carry the big metal box around. The Sea, however, is a... An acronym, if I'm if I'm using that correct, an initialism, I think that's more precise. And it stands for surprise, engage, and attack. Sea legs. And so they all they all these sea legs vehicles come out of the ocean. And you know, looking at 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 these pictures, these images of these freaking giant walkers, I really wish they would have made toys out of these things because they look flipping awesome. This was a period in the book when They had already made the first wave of toys. So they had the action figures, which were 13 action figures, which were the 13 characters that are in this book. Well, not 13. Uh, You you also had Cobra Commander and uh, Cobra Soldier and uh, the Baroness. And then you had a few vehicles. You had the tank and the vamp, which was the Jeep. And, you know, just it just. A few things. It wasn't a big line at this point, not like it would become after the cartoon started. But the purpose of the comic book was then to kind of market 
what was already out there. And so they weren't making toys based on what else they added to the comic, which is kind of a shame because some of the stuff they put in these issues is pretty awesome. I would really love to see some some toys made out of this stuff. That's I think if Hasbro was smart, they would uh, go back through some of these old books and make uh, like legacy toys, legacy vehicles from from some of this stuff. So anyway, Cobra, of course, they, they're, they're winning and then they're losing and then they're winning and then they're losing. And in the end, of course, you know, Cobra loses. They don't, they're, they're not able to stop the shuttle from getting up to the satellite. They, uh, uh, as a last ditch effort, they fire a missile to the shuttle. We do have a couple of Joes on the shuttle. I think Breaker and, and it might be Zap are on the shuttle with the other astronauts. No, not Zap, it's Flash. Flash is actually in a spacesuit. He's doing a spacewalk as the missile enters space and is heading to the the satellite. And he's able to, using his propulsion system on the suit, he's able to push the missile out of the way so that it he saves the day. And so then the Joes storm the the undersea base, which at this point has floated to the surface of the ocean just off the coast of Cape Canaveral so that, you know, all the, the, the Cobra soldiers could storm the beaches and all that stuff. And, and uh, once, once Cobra realizes that they have lost, Cobra Commander and the Baroness escape. Cobra Commander starts a self-destruct sequence on their base and it explodes but not before the Joes are able to escape. Don't worry, they're safe. They made it out alive. The the rest of the Cobra soldiers, however, they're still all on the the base. They all die when the uh, when the base explodes. The Joes, however, they have these like uh, th- these safety kits and whatnot with them, which are full of um, inflatable rafts, and so they're floating in the ocean as the 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 base explodes and the Baroness. And Cobra Commander are out there on the ocean in their in their big boat that they're using to escape. And then they try to run down the Joes in their boat. They are, of course, unsuccessful because Zap has a bazooka with him who whispers the word Zap as he's firing his bazooka. And he blows up the boat that the Baroness and Cobra Commander are on. And... As the Joes are celebrating and wondering, hey, do you think we got him in that blast? Suddenly, from out of the water erupts like a seaplane that I guess was just waiting under the surface of the water for Cobra Commander and the Baroness, who must have jumped from the boat before it exploded, swam into the seaplane, started it up, and then flew it underwater to the surface and escaped. And then that's how it ends. Now, (laughs) I mentioned... This part here during during the story that I really wanted to talk about, because there was this part of uh, what appeared to be part of Cobra Commander's plan, which made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. And I want to talk about it with all y'all, because I, I really I, I I read it and I wanted to get up and sit down with every member of my family and talk through what I just read, because I just didn't understand why somebody would do this. And I knew that my my family wouldn't put up with that. They don't they don't want to talk about a GI Joe comic book with me, and so I, I have to talk about it with all y'all. So when the Joes infiltrate 
the floating Cobra base, and they are given the word that the satellite is safe. Colonel Hawk gives the order to venture deeper into the base to search for Cobra Commander in the Baroness, basically. Once he says that, a voice comes over like a PA system, and it's Cobra Commander, who is obviously listening to them. So here's what happens. So Colonel Hawk says, round them up, Joes. Then we've got to get inside and ferret out the main ferret, to which Cobra Commander starts speaking on the, the, the PA, because... Like I said, they've infiltrated the base, but they're still, they're just on top. They haven't actually gone inside yet. They're, they're on like the, the, the surface of the base. So Cobra Commander says, correction, you had better extricate yourselves from the Cobra Sea Base. Although your damnable luck has bought you more time in this little drama, I am pleased to inform you how precious little you have left and that the drama is about to be played out. While the Baroness and I escape to fight another day, you and yours will be atomized by a failsafe device set to detonate in five minutes. Disarming this device will be quite impossible, given the amount of time left. Farewell. Okay, so first of all, I'm scratching my head because Cobra Commander just warned the Joes that he has set the base to self-destruct, and they have very little time to escape before they are blown up. Why would he do that? Why? Unless he wants them to survive, okay? That's the only reason he would do that. So at this point, as I'm reading the book, there's a little part of me that's thinking, all right, well, maybe he he wants them to live. Maybe maybe Cobra Commander's really not all that bad. So he he wants to take over the world but he doesn't really want to kill a bunch of people to do it. And so he's giving the Joes a fighting chance. That's the only thing that makes sense. Otherwise, he just would have escaped, right? He just would have left and not said a thing. Now, granted, one could argue that maybe this is just his ego, that there's no way that someone like the Cobra Commander is going to allow the Joes to die without the opportunity of giving the last word. And that also makes complete sense for a character as ridiculous as Cobra Commander. But he pretty much tells them while they have little time, they could escape. He It, it feels more like a warning and less like a uh, him bragging. Like, it doesn't feel like him saying, you may have won this day, G.I. Joe, but your celebrations will be short-lived because soon you will be dying in agony as the base explodes around you. That's that's not what this feels like. This feels more like, you may have won this day, Joes, but don't worry, you're not going to find any of my secrets in this base because it's going to blow up. But you're not going to blow up with it, however. You, you've got time to escape. Don't worry about that. You're going to make it out of here alive, just like I am. I'm, I'm already leaving. I'm, I'm, I'm escaping. That's what this feels like. So I found that odd. And yet at the same time, as the Joes are escaping and they're getting their little inflatable rafts out, and Colonel Hawk is telling the other Joes, you know, make sure we've got enough for these Cobra soldiers. One of the soldiers says, no, you can shoot us. We're not going to leave. We serve Cobra Commander to the end. So they're going to stay. They're going to stay and blow up with the uh, base, to which uh, Colonel Hawk says, suit yourself. <laughs> suit yourself. 
we're only asking once. And then they take off and the base blows up and all these Cobra soldiers die. And here's the thing. If you've listened to these episodes so far, this is number eight. This is not the first time Cobra Commander has sacrificed a crap ton of his soldiers. Just let them die. This is not the first time that this has happened. And it's just a reminder that if you have not read these comics, but you watched the cartoon, they are not the same thing. Yeah, this is ridiculous. There are some ridiculous concepts going on here, but people die and they die gruesome deaths. Okay, so with that out of the way, I'm not done with this whole mistake thing that I wanted to really dwell on here because what I mentioned with Cobra Commander warning the Joes about the base exploding, that's just part of it. Once I read that scene, once I got to that scene and I got past it and I resolved myself to the fact, once I I, I accepted that Cobra Commander must have wanted the Joes to live, I couldn't quite understand why. Maybe he just likes the game. Maybe he he enjoys going up against the Joes. There was just something about it I just didn't quite understand. Well, then we get to a page where the Joes are in the water. They're in their inflatable rafts. The base blows up. And then suddenly, Cobra Commander and the Baroness are there in their boat. I mentioned this already. They're coming at the Joes in their rafts, and they're, they're getting ready to, to plow them over and destroy them. And in fact, here's where it gets weird. The Baroness says, victory, Commander, we shall achieve it. And Cobra Commander says, their guard is down, as I knew it would be. I will easily dispose of them now. You will easily dispose of them now? It would have been easier if you just wouldn't have warned them that the flippin' base was going to explode. The Joes were getting ready to go deep into the base to look for you. They would have blown up with the base. So basically what you're telling us here, Cobra Commander, is that the reason you warned them about the base blowing up is so they would end up on the surface of the ocean floating in inflatable rafts just where you wanted them to be so that you could run them over in a boat. That was your plan. That was your plan to kill them. Run them over with a boat. Not let them explode. Not atomize them in the base. Run them over with a boat. That makes absolutely no sense. I mean, it does. If I was going to go for a no prize here, then I would say Cobra Commander is insane. That's what it comes down to. Cobra Commander should not be leading Cobra. Because if those are the kind of plans that he puts together, if that's the schemes that he comes up with, all right, Baroness, here's what we're going to do. We know that the Joes are going to come after us. Once we fail in this mission, I mean, I don't think he planned on failing. I think he he was hoping they would win, right? I mean, that I, I think that's a given. But once he realized that they had lost, then he put this secondary scheme into motion. The Joes are going to board our base. Once they're on board, I will set the self-destruct and then we'll escape. And then the Baroness is probably like, excellent, Commander. Then when the base explodes, they will die. Not so, Baroness. I have another idea. We'll warn them that the base is about to explode and give them time to escape. And then that's when the Baroness argues with them. But, Commander, how will we kill them? They will escape by going into inflatable rafts. And then they will be like ducks on a pond in the ocean. And that will allow us 
to run them over. And the Baroness seems to be behind it as well because she's in the boat with them. Victory is ours, Commander! And so they're both just <laughs> not very smart people. I just, uh, I just did not understand that at all about this issue. That I'm just scratching my head. I'm going to lose sleep over that story point right there because I don't know if there's any other way to explain that plot point other than Cobra Commander and the Baroness really just don't know what they're doing. They just have no clue. And maybe that's why Destro ends up coming into the picture later. I mean, that's certainly kind of what his role ended up being to a certain extent in the cartoon. I mean, for those of us who watched all of the cartoon, we know that Cobra Commander was kind of a bumbling idiot and that Destro was the one who, you know, if, if he had his way, Cobra probably would have won more often than not. But Cobra Commander is the reason why they never won. And it was why they ended up creating Sepentor. And uh, Sepentor didn't end up being a great leader either because Cobra Commander, of course, <laughs> messed that all up as well. So I don't know if they're purposely trying to go for that in this book. I don't know if that's just, if they're being really kind of subtle. It, I don't know. I think it's just, it's just ridiculous. It's just, uh, I don't know. I don't think it's meant to be this subtle. See, this will pay off in a hundred issues when, when, uh, we have to make Sepentor. I don't think they were thinking that back then. <laughs> Hindsight though, we can, we can look at it now and go, man, they were, they were really starting this whole Cobra commanders, a bumbling idiot really quite early, weren't they? Because, uh, no, I don't think so. I think Cobra Commander, they were, from the beginning of this series, they were playing him up as to be a very dangerous, smart, military genius kind of guy. And yet, here we are in this issue. We'll allow them to come on board the base. We will set the self-destruct. We will warn them that they're about to die. And then when they escape, we'll run them over on the surface of the ocean in a boat. That's our plan. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's the issue. That was G.I. Joe issue number eight. And uh, yeah, I uh, I hope you enjoyed hearing me talk about it because I sure as heck enjoyed talk, talking about it. <laughs> I enjoyed talking about it. <clears throat> Clear my throat of all my stupidity now. I've sucked in so much stupidity from from just that that story point that it's it's not allowing me to talk in complete sentences. So, hey. What did you think about this issue? Did you read it? Have you read it? Are you reading this along with me? Send me an email, justanotherfanboy at gmail.com and tell me what you thought. And uh, I will read it out on an episode. Promise. I really, really will. In fact, I will hold on to it and I'll read it when I do another G.I. Joe episode. I'll, I'll, I'll do just that. Hey, are you listening to this show on Apple Podcasts or any kind of podcasting service that allows you to rate the show? Because if you are, I encourage you to rate the show. If you've not done so yet, please do so. Places like Apple Podcasts, they allow you to rate the show using a star system or other types of rating systems. And the more ratings a show gets, the better they do in these freaking super mystical cyber algorithms when people go into their apps and they do a search by uh, G.I. Joe comic books. It's going to show them podcasts that have more ratings that are more popular. The more ratings apparently mean that they're more popular, I guess. So yeah, please, please go do that. And hey, if you never want to miss one of these episodes, which if you're subscribed, 
out there on one of these podcatching apps like a Apple Podcasts, there's a good chance you're not going to miss an episode. But just in case, you should subscribe to my newsletter. That's list.justanotherfanboy.com. It's a sub stack, but it's totally free. And every time I put out an episode, you're going to get an email. And it's not just just another fanboy. The newsletter is called Steven Says Stuff. And when I put out an episode of Just Another Fanboy or my other podcast or the Superman Super Show or anything, you are going to get an email. And then you can just play the episode right from that email. That's uh, that's pretty cool. And if you're not signed up, when you do sign up, you're going to get one of my eBooks, The Adventures of Norman, Oklahoma, Volume 1, for free. That's pretty cool, right? So yeah, you should go do that. Not only is it a free service, you get a free book. Win-win, win-win, win-win. Should I say that a fourth time? Win-win. There you go. The theme song for this episode was written and performed by Derek Nybarger of Atomic Zombie Records. You can find him and more of his music at atomiczombierecords.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you feel like throwing a little bit of support my way, you can come over and join the Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You know, that's all you need. Dollar a month. That helps keep the lights on, as most of these podcasts say. Uh, Actually, it has nothing to do with the lights. What it does do, however, is it helps me pay that podcasting bill. If you're not aware, podcasting costs money. There are places out there that will host your podcast for you and put it out there on places like Apple Podcasts and all that junk. And you pay these services to do that for you. And, and, and in order to pay them, you need money. Plus, your donations help me buy comics, which I turn around and then talk about on the show. Now, in return, you're going to get access to the My Other Podcast podcast a week before anybody else. They release on Friday. You're going to get it for a whole week. And then the following Friday, it's going to go out on the public feed. So win-win. I'm not going to do that four times, but it's a dollar a month. It's pretty much a win-win. And while you're out there on the World Wide Web doing all this stuff, not just for me, but for you as well, you should come join the Just Another Fanboy message boards at forum.justanotherfanboy.com. All of those links that I have mentioned will be in the show notes. And hey, with all of that out of the way, join me back here this Thursday for another Just Another Fanboy classic episode where I'm going to be talking about Madman. Yeah, I know I've done that many times already on this podcast, but I did it once way back in 2006. So, hey, you want to hear me talking about Madman for the very first time all the way back in December of 2006? Well, just stick around because on Thursday, you're going to hear me do that. Until then, folks, my name is Steven, and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other, please. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job. Uh Uh-oh. Turkey, now we might lose. Hold on there. Flint! Will yelling at Billy help? Not really. Look, if you want to play your best, you got to play like a team. Next time you get angry over a bad play, remember you need teamwork to win, not arguments. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe!